recorded on Monday, February 3rd, 2014, in St. Louis, Missouri, This Agile Life, Episode 35, Spam Amos. Get your very own People Work Here t-shirt at booster.com slash thisagilelife. Say it loud and wear it proud. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me, I have three great hosts this evening, starting with Dr. Lee McCauley. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going well, Lee. How are you? I am doing quite well. You sound great. Thanks. Also joining us is Nate Mackey. Hello, John. Good to be back on the podcast. Oh, Nate, it's great to have you on the podcast. And our third host joining us this evening is the one and only, thankfully, Amos King. Hey, good evening, John. Hey, Amos. Guys, we're going to jump right into our discussion this evening. Tonight, we're discussing splitting stories. Amos, I understand that you had a uh, Twitter conversation with someone about this. I did have a Twitter conversation. Um, I don't know that I should use his name, so you might have to bleep this out later. But Joe Barnes uh, reached out to me uh, about stories and splitting stories and why to possibly split them. I don't remember exactly how the conversation started. I don't think it started out with, hey, how should I split this story? But it kind of ended up that way, and we we moved it to email, and I thought that it might be a good thing for us to talk about tonight and uh, possibly um, talk about with Joe sometime. And talk about it we shall. Why don't we start off with discussing why do we care at all about splitting a story? Why would we ever do that? Well, I mean, from from my side, we're kind of going through this process on a on a project right now as as features coming in from the from the customer. Uh, we can't really accomplish uh, a, an entire feature in a short period of time, and we definitely can't estimate how long it's going to take to do uh, to do that feature if. We don't know exactly how big it is and how many steps it's going to take. Besides, we want to be able to deliver to a customer uh, continuously, right? And we we want to be able to continuously deliver um, small small things that uh, that continuously add value, so that the customer can give us feedback quickly on those pieces. Not put some huge 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 feature that's going to take uh, you know three four weeks to complete. And then the customer can come back to us and say, oh, no, that wasn't what I meant. Or, hey, that was a month ago. Things have changed. Lee, you mentioned delivering features and splitting stories within that. When you talk about a feature and those stories, so you're definitely differentiating. And I just want to point this out for the listening audience. You're differentiating feature, which is a uh, grouping of similar stories that when all put together, those stories are all put together, that those equate to a particular feature. Is that how you've defined them? That's exactly right. I mean, for, for us, when, when we create a, a set of stories around a feature, it'll come in as one single feature from the, from the customer, and we may even break that feature into, <clears throat> into other features. If for some reason the, the customer has said they want this and this as a as a feature, then we'll probably break it up into into two different things. Um, but then but then we go through and we might create create mock screens, and there might be multiple screens involved in a particular workflow. So you can think of a feature, at least the way we categorize it, is we think of a feature as a a single workflow through the system, um, and it may be the happy path, or it may be an error workflow, or it, it could be anything, but it's a single workflow. It's not branching out from there. But that workflow may have multiple steps, and each one of those steps by themselves could be its own story. 
and we can deliver those separately um, without having the entire workflow completed. So for us, that's basically the difference. A feature is a single workflow all the way through the system, where a story is an individual piece that can be delivered and can immediately provide some value without necessarily completing the entire feature. I know it sounds like a very basic thing, but I just wanted to make sure we started this podcast off by level setting that so that everyone was on the same page as we were talking about uh, stories, and, and especially since we're probably going to be talking about stories that are on the large side since we have a need to split them. Uh, I, and I feel a little different, I think, than Lee. Lee I, uh, correct me if I, if I misheard you, but it sounded like stories may not be a... Um, a, a marketable feature or, or something that you can push all the way out to the end. That's and... not a, that's not exactly what what I intended. If I if I said okay. that or I put that across, I, that's not necessarily what I meant. What I meant is an individual story is something is a single thing that can provide value. So you might call that an MMF if you want to um, minimal marketable feature, um, but it's a minimal feature, where the features coming in from the customer are often not minimal features. They're full, full, ble- full bore, um, a, a full version of a feature with all the, it's the Cadillac version. <laughs> right, well, right. I think that that's fantastic. That might be a show title there, is uh, a Cadillac version is, is huge. It takes you um, down the road quite a ways, but part of what I like about splitting out stories into, to, into tiny things is the flexibility that it buys both the developer and the customer, is that if you can split them on tiny lines, uh, you will find that there are little pieces of this feature that may not be as high a priority as the main part of the feature, and you can move into the meat of the site and even find out things that you can just throw away, because as this gets deployed, end users, you find out, oh, we we don't need all of this um, extra features wrapped around this bigger feature. That's a good point. I mean, we see a lot of times then when uh, when customers are really passionate about their product and that we're building for them, and we always love it when they are, um, they tend to want to throw in all the bells and whistles and all the nice-to-haves all in the big feature. And so that's that's a really good point, Amos, that uh, breaking those out and and forcing uh, the, well, what is the, the core of this feature is really important. One, like, example that I usually reach to when talking to customers or anybody else about uh, uh, this is um, is a password verification field. So I know that almost everybody out here has signed up for a website and they've had to type in their password and then there's a second field and they have to type in their password again before they can move on. And that would be one place on like a registration where I might split out a story. It's, a, it's an example I use all the time is that that password verification, maybe we just or the first pass does not, doesn't have that verification. And we, we find out that because we have password reset, that that verification isn't really needed right away. And ultimately, hopefully, we don't ever have to put it in a wall at all because I personally don't want to type my password two and three times on every website that I go to. What would you, what would you call that? As ask a- about uh, something you said, Amos. You know, it seemed like you took issue with something Lee said about the, um, the feature versus the story. And this is something that as we, as we matured or as we grew through Agile that we, we fought about a, a good bit, which is, does it make sense to have a story that does something that demonstrates, because you know, it's important for a, a story to be testable. It, does it make sense for a story to be testable and yet not provide any value to the uh, customer without providing you know, without doing all the other stories that might make it provide value. So the, the example would be that I've got a place in my system where I can um, add something. Maybe I can add users, but without the ability to see a list of users, uh, adding a user really doesn't buy me anything. So I can add a user, but I can't see anything that I've added. I've just added them. And do you really want to go to the customer and say, okay, we finished add user, and now they can go type something in and hit enter, and then it disappears, and they have no idea what happened to it? Or do you, do you wait? You, you make that a story because it makes sense as a story, but you wait until a full set of stories is there that would support them seeing actual value being added to the system. I, th- I think it very much depends on your customer. 
the the actual the scenario that you gave, I've run into and given the customer the ability to add users, but the you couldn't view a list of users or anything like that. And really, it, it came down to well, I can deliver this to you this week, or you're going to have to wait two weeks for the bigger piece where you can see everybody. But part of adding was also um, allowing them to front load some users that they were inviting to the website. So they ended up having good business value as their um, administration staff could go in and start in, entering these users that they were going to then invite personally with handshakes to uh, log into the site. So it ended up being a good thing. But, but yes, I, I don't know... There, there is a point where it's minimal marketable, right? That um, Lee talked about, but I think that's very based on your customer and the relationship that you have with them. And, and it's not totally important. I'm just asking because sometimes uh, developers will get caught up in the fact that, well, if we just, you know, if we just add somebody and we don't have a list, then who cares about that? And the customer's not going to get excited about that. So, you know, I don't even want to. To call that a story, I want it. It's only a story if it gives them something useful that they can see. And if we're really trying to split stories, and we really think splitting stories into the into the smallest reasonable component is is valuable, then it seems like we would want to push against that. And here's a tool you could use to push against that: is if you really feel that way, and maybe your customer really feels that way, then here's an option. You know, do what Lee said: have a, a, enough of a feature so it actually adds a full use case to the system, but you can still break up into stories as far as how you accomplish it. Well, or, or could you wait to deliver? Right? So you could still do the one story of adding users and then wait to deliver it till the list is done. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's bad. Um, I, I don't know. I personally think that they're two different stories. What do you think, John? I think this is a, a difference between a story as a, a user story that adds value to the user. It's something relatively independent. But that story, even though it has value, it may not be a minimal, minimal and marketable. It may not be marketable. It's certainly minimal. But it may not be ready by itself to be released. So it's small. It has functionality in it, but it has to be it has to be released along with a few other things to make it actually marketable. So it's still good to, cr to create that as a story because that ability to add a user uh, can, is something that can be independently tested. It may not be absolutely usable by the users until they have the rest of what you guys discussed in terms of the marketability with a list of users, etc. So I think the problem that we're trying to deal with is more on the side of too large of a story and needing to split the story than being small and I mean it's two two different sides of the same coin. Well, let's not um, let's not also forget about the fact that you can split up stories and you can still demonstrate stories to a customer um, that don't necessarily have a UI if your uh, if your architecture allows it. So if you have an API layer that you're building, you can still hit an API and demonstrate that even if you don't have a, a user interface yet. So you can you can split that up if you have to. We don't like to. We would rather do a full slice all the way UI to the back end as, a, as an individual story. But it is an option, at least, to deal with a story from an API versus a UI layer, especially if you have a good separation. But in the example that Nate brings up, it's not just UI all the way down. It's UI all the way down back to different UI. Right. That's where I have the, the, the problem, is that it's no longer a thin vertical slice. It's, it's, a, it's a chunk, thin vertical chunk. Right. And, and I guess what, what I want to just set, support is don't let the idea, it, and even if you, you have a naive customer and they don't understand the concept of I'm adding a feature, but I'm not giving you everything that you need for that to be completely valuable yet, but I still want to show you I want to show you something so you can give me feedback. You know, if they're not mature enough maybe to understand that and they're 
they're just going to get confused and upset if they only see part of it done. You know, that's a lot of ifs. But if, if you're in a situation like that, don't let that stop you from trying to break things down into stories and maybe like Amos said, you know, package it up into a delivery to the customer, but you're still breaking down into into more smaller manageable stories. Well, and, and what I found with those smaller manageable stories is that uh, you give the customer more power to choose what to work on next. What's the priority to work on? If you include the users with the list, the user adding with the list of users, as well as some validations, possibly, um, that, that's a lot of stuff that you end up having your team work on where maybe some of those validations are not quite as important. Or maybe the list of users is not quite as important as just letting somebody just chug away at putting people in. So you give them the power back in order to prioritize those things. And if the user add and the list are important to come together, they can be the top two priorities or right next to each other in the priority list so that they're very likely to be done within a reasonable time frame from each other. Well, let's kind of go around the horn here and have each host answer the question, under what circumstances have you had the need to split a story into other stories? And Amos, can you kick us off with an answer to that question? Almost every story a customer has ever given me, I've, I've had the need to split into smaller stories. Why is that? Uh, well, I, I like the stories to be very, very focused on what they're doing. I think that it, it is more... Um, I don't even know if this is a word, estimatable. Um, it is a lot simpler for me to estimate something at a day or less than it is for me to estimate something at a week or more. Uh, one of our other hosts, sometimes Craig Buchek, is very fond of saying that if a developer tells you it's going to take two weeks, it really means I have no idea. Um, so the smaller the story, the easier it is for me to, to estimate. And, and a lot of customers want you to estimate things out. Also, it allows me to be more focused um, when I look at it. I don't know. I think I may be answering this question in a very long-winded way. <laughs> um, so so that, that focused ability doesn't just go with me as a developer, but as QA goes on, there's there's a lot less to forget. And that's the big part. It's like every almost everything that anybody's ever given me, there's a lot more to it than they even realize. So if I can split it up, then... I have less to think about at any one point in time. Okay, so to boil that down to a few less words. All the time. Because That's the stories it. are large, <laughs> because you want to have the ability to better focus on, on the story at hand and not have to deal with so many other, other factors. And you want it to be easier for you and your, your coworkers and your team to estimate, provide an estimate for the story. Correct. Okay, let's go to Lee. So I think the, the answer to this is, for me, is almost uh, identical to Amos's um, in that uh, almost everything coming from a customer is probably going to include a lot more pieces um, than what engineers tend to want to break it down into and, and can break it down into if they've had practice uh, in figuring out how to... Uh, how to create incredibly loud keyboards. Um, and loud typing. <laughs> Amos. Um, so, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you weren't muted, Amos. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the idea of of breaking down the stories, almost everything that comes from a customer is, is going to be bigger only because people don't think like us geeks that, that do this for a living um, in that when we see something, we can see all these little pieces and all and every little detail that we have to code and we have to make work. And each one of those, in a lot of cases, can be its own story and has its own, its own uh, challenges. And, and so breaking those out, uh, most, most people that don't do this for a living, they just don't see those. Uh, from the beginning, and so I think that's that's the reason why. Can I just hop in and say most people that even do this for a living have a hard time, which is why we got brought up to talk about this. Right, exactly. 
That's for sure. So, Nate, what what would you say the reasons are why you split stories most commonly? Well, I mean, the reason that we give our clients most often is that we want to put something in front of them so that we can get their feedback. So we want to be able to deliver to them and, and let them see how the system's going to look with that thing they just asked for and give them an opportunity to say, well, you know what, I don't like that, or wow, now that I see that, I have an idea, or you know, could we do it a slightly different way, or whatever it is. And uh, every time you add something to the system, you learn. You learn something that you didn't know before. And so if you try to, it's just the same reason why we do Agile instead of Waterfall. If we try to write everything all at once, then we lose that opportunity to learn from what we did. We gave the... Uh, Several episodes back, we gave the example of the walking skeleton. The reason you do a walking skeleton is so that you can learn all the things you need to have to be able to get your system up and running from top to bottom. And if you put too much into that walking skeleton, you are losing the opportunity to learn and maybe do something better. You put as little in as possible so that you can, you can learn from that and be able to make good decisions in the future. I can't really say it any better than you guys have, so those all sound like great reasons. I think where we need to go next with our discussion is to talk about what are the approaches that we use and coach others to use to take these stories that we want to be able to better focus on, that we want to learn from, that we want to be able to estimate better, and how do we break that story down into smaller chunks. In my experience... This is one of the hardest things for people to grasp in Agile is how to effectively break a story down. I, you can do it. I've seen people break stories down without any coaching, but they usually do it poorly and in a suboptimal way. I see a lot of stories that come out of, out of um, misunderstanding that don't really have a lot of business value on either end. I mean, if you... Write a, like, let's say uh, you're doing an MVC framework and you write a story that says create this model. There's no view, there's no, no nothing else wrapped. It's just create this model and this database table. That's typically what everyone that's, does immediately, right? They go, it's a, I've got MVC, so story one is to create the model, story two is to create the view, story three is to create the controller. Mm. Wrong answer. <laughs> Immediately bad, right? That is not a thin vertical slice. Of course not. But it is, I mean, you can understand why people go to that because it's logical. It seems like the appropriate separation of the work. And then it's even worse if you say, okay, I'm going to create the model and you create the view and you create the controller and then we'll all get together after we're done and see if it works. Which it <laughs> never does. I've been there. <laughs> what, what do you guys you do? You do it, man. That's, that's Oh, that. man. Cool. I know it's the good old days. I had a, I had a company recently that weren't so good at talk all. to me about that, and I was like, "Wait, you, you still do that? Like, I didn't know people were around that still worked that way." <laughs> and, and then they were complaining about all the problems that they had with people uh, when it, whenever they go to interconnect it, and I'm like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> There's a lot of information on the internet about splitting stories, about how to split stories. We're going to have a couple of links to a few resources. Uh, that I've relied on in the past to share with people to help get them started with approaches for splitting stories. But let's take uh, the example that Amos started with of typical model view controller sort of application. What would you guys suggest? We need to split the story. It's obviously too large. The, uh, the team is going to require multiple days, maybe a week, to implement the story as it's written. So how do you coach? What do you, what do you want to tell people about getting ready to start splitting this story? The simplest way to split a story is to change the verbiage, the language that you use in order to describe a story. <laughs> okay, um, so if you just change it, though, you haven't split it. So you're talking about changing it in a well, way that splits it up. If you change the way you write it, it will naturally split, I, I, from what I've seen. Um, how so? so we, we've heard about the... Uh, as a in order to I want or whatever that order is there. Um, I can't think right now because I'm, I'm moving on to the next part. 
Um, that That is a great way to describe a very large feature. And I actually have many customers who show up with that already in mind, that um, a, as an administrator, in order to get more user, or in order to um, have users on the website, I would like to be able to add and view a list of users to use Nate's um, uh, example. So the the biggest thing is to, to get them to, to think in the way of, I think, personally, is the given, when, then steps. And if you can get to that point, then it allows a, a little setup and a single action and a result of that action. And each one of those given, when, thens breaks down into a very nice vertical story. You actually have something that's demonstrable to the user. So given when then is also known as the Gherkin syntax is uh, most commonly used with Cucumber and RSpec. Do they use it in RSpec, Amos? Uh, not, no. not really. Okay. Um, Cucumber can use RSpec in the background, which is why it often gets linked, but Cucumber can use many other uh, technologies in the background. So why do you believe that a single given when then is the appropriate or is it in and of itself a story? Uh, well, it, it meets my criteria. Usually a given when then is something that I can do in a reasonable amount of time. And by reasonable, I mean a day or less. Uh, it's focused. It has one set of steps to go through. Uh, so I can estimate it. It's focused uh, by splitting it up. Let's say I have a, a, we'll go back to my example that I use frequently as a registration page, is that if I am going to have uh, validations, let, let's say the user has to put in an email address. So I would have uh, given a user is uh, trying to register when they register with a valid email address, then they are allowed to register. That's kind of a very weak story, but it doesn't have anything to do with validations. The next story may be given a user is trying to register when they register with an invalid email, they cannot register. Again, it's very small, and this is kind of a naive example, but that separates the validation from registration. And it allows us to move forward quickly and stay focused on what the problem is. QA can come in and say, okay, now I'm going to try to register a good user. Oh, now I'm going to try to register a bad user. And step through just that one focused problem, and we can move on. I agree the, with you. The important is, part to me is being able to quickly move forward. I agree with you in general, but there's also the possibility that somebody could write very vague, given when then acceptance criteria. You know, given that the the system turns on uh, when I press the button, it will run the payroll. I mean, that's that's not going it, to be small enough for for a story, right? I mean. There's... True. I haven't. I haven't really had a user go that broad. That is a very. That's a very good example of a very broad given win. Then I thought so. So it, it has to be. It has to be written at a good level. And there's. I think that there's some constraints, some boundaries that we can kind of suggest and and give to people to help them out. Um, it, you want to stay narrowly focused, right? I mean, you want to try and do small bits of a story. So in your example, if it's a user registration page. You may start off with just the first and last name, even though your your minimal marketable feature calls for much more information. The first given when then that you create or the first story that you create could just call for the very basic of data entry to make the user registration page somewhat functional. It's yeah, not so what fun. can what can I do minimally that happy pathwise can get somebody to register. Yes. I think that's important is happy path is one. I, one story. Um, but that's not the end of the happy path. Right. Right? That's not enough for the happy path because there's a lot of other information that I probably want to collect on a registration page that is also included in the happy path. So I think happy path can actually be too large. Nate, did you want to add right. to that? I, I was going to agree that that happy path and that's kind of getting into the previous conversation that we had that you know happy path to someone could mean a whole set of steps have been followed like you're you know I push the button and I I run the payroll 
there, there's a happy path to that, but it's huge. So you, you really need to continue to boil it down to um, what, are the, what are the different pieces, what are the steps involved in doing what it is you want to do, and can we focus on a step of that or the first step of that and, and, and see some value there? Or is there, you know, is there a particularly hard part of what you want to do, this happy path that we could hit first? You know, is there something really that's going to be challenging or has the most questions or the most risk that we could, we could hit first? Oh, that's another, that, Nate, that has to be another episode. <laughs> sure. Of, of whether we should hit the hard part first or the simple well, it's, stuff. Right, it's an option, right? It, it depends. <laughs> Not that you'd always do that. It's, it's a, just a way of looking at the, at the larger story to see if there's a way to break it down into something smaller. So usually when I have uh, a really large story like that, one of the first things that I will do is try to think of the, the border conditions, right? So, um, so uh, running the payroll. Well, what if I've only got one person in the database and I need to write a, a, a single check? Or I need to deduce, I'll, I'll think of one little piece of that and try to do the border conditions. Okay, what if there's nobody in the database? What happens? Um, and sometimes it, those are nice ways to think about uh, individual stories as those border conditions if you can't find another way to split it up. One of the things that I, one of the metaphors that I like to use as I'm trying to explain this to folks is imagine if you can that every story, with every new story that you do, there's some percentage chance, there's some dice roll that can occur, and if that dice is a, hits a 20, if it's a critical strike against the project, the whole thing shuts down. And if you keep that in mind, this possibility that at any time the project could end, and you keep that in mind as you are thinking about how to split stories down or how to split up stories, I think that helps you focus on Every story that needs to be implemented needs to be user uh, demonstrable, needs to add some sort of value rather than expecting that you're going to get to do that next story. And if, there, you know, if you kind of use this fake scenario to consider, I've got to make sure that I can get deliver as much value in that story as possible without having dependencies on other things, I think it helps put people in the right frame of mind of how to split it up and therefore you don't think about I'm going to get to be able to do another story to finish this implementation. You want that implementation as it's defined to be done done when you're done with that story. You don't want to have to go back and touch that again. But what you, you know what, what you may be able to do you may not call the same thing done. Uh, my, this piece is done, but I may have another layer, another slice that makes it more done. So this is done, but it's more done now because I added into our registration example, I added in email and city. So now this is this this thing that I'm building towards is more done. But it doesn't mean that anything has changed with the first story that I did that was last name and first name. I'm just completing more, a little bit more each time for that overall minimal marketable feature. Nate, is it, are there dangers that you can think of involved with going through this process of splitting stories? Yeah, I, I think we've encountered before having a story that we know is too big and deciding that we want to split it up into pieces and then doing that and making all these smaller stories and after we've finished everything realizing that that something got left out so we thought we had a full feature delivery and now we actually don't and sometimes sometimes that's okay you know sometimes you know, okay well we missed something so let's just go put it in but sometimes that thing that you missed uh, is critical and, and causes you know major rethinking of the the entire feature of, of how you implemented it and maybe what you did was too naive and that you need to start over and so you know it's a, in most cases it, it's fine it's just that if you're if you're doing something where what you're delivering is it's critical for it to be 
correct for this new feature to be to be right before it goes into the system, um, there there could be some challenges there, or it could it could be something that blows out your schedule. So you thought you had enough time to get all this done, and suddenly there's this piece that you missed. Now you've got to go back and fix it. So having a having at least some idea of what your what the complete set of the problem is you're trying to split up is is helpful, so that you can at least you know try to avoid that situation. Is the is the leaving of gaps? A problem in splitting up stories, or is it still a problem of the overall larger story that you're splitting? Like that you just did. There was something you didn't know. Well, what I've seen happen uh, that I'm referring to is that you you take a large story and you split it into pieces, and then people forget about that larger story. So they're not thinking about that larger uh, flow or that larger process or use case or whatever it is, and they're just kind of you know, doing, doing that piece and thinking, okay, I'm done. I finished this and now I'm done. And not really considering that the whole thing needs to be done. So you come back to the customer and you say, okay, we got this done. And as soon as they start trying it, they realize there's, there's major things that have been left out because nobody's thinking at that top level anymore. They're all, only thinking at that really small level. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So is, is there a way to, to get around the vision of that larger story being like, there a way to get that out to people so that when they're looking at the smaller story, they still have that bigger vision in mind? Well, to me, it's doing what you were talking about with the given when then. That's one way of doing it. Is that before you, before you decide, okay, we're done splitting this up, have we come up with, with all of these, thinking at this high level, have we come up with all of these situations that we want to make sure that we cover? And be- just again, before you leave that, and say, okay, now it's broken, and now it's all these smaller stories. Go through that and think through it and make sure that you've covered as much as you, as you can think of at that point. A lot of times that takes care of the problem. You know, it's just that once you start splitting the story up, it's so easy to just stop and not realize that you haven't covered everything. I, I, would, I would like to, to just mention to the listeners that it's okay whenever you're working on a story to also make a new story. Put it in the backlog or talk to the customer about it. Or if you have the ability to, maybe put it next in the queue. Amen. The other thing that I would say is um, just like uh, we don't generally want uh, developers trying to do UI design, um, we also need uh, sometimes external help in reminding ourselves about the big picture and so having a, a product owner, either from the customer available all the time or a surrogate product owner as somebody inside the, the team on a day-to-day basis, um, some, of our, some of our teams use our QA as, uh, that kind of plays that role. Sometimes our designers play that role where they have this big, the big picture of what a, a given feature is supposed to do. And if you can have them involved in, in the process of breaking down those stories, then you are less likely to leave stuff out. So mechanically, how do you guys do the story breakdown? We've, we've mentioned that there's an opportunity here to maybe leave gaps, but I think that depending on how you go about this, um, there's less likelihood to, to leave gaps. And I'll give you an example of the way that I think that this should be done. If you, if you pull a story down, you say this story needs to be split, then I think that you and maybe your pair or maybe you and, and someone, Lee, like you mentioned, maybe an, an analyst, a quality analyst or a business analyst can then immediately sit there with that story that's too large or is maybe a, a, a feature kind of in, in hiding and take that and split that down into all of its constituent parts that you're going to create and those are going to then serve as the implementation plan for that particular story that was too large. I think if you do it that way, you avoid this scenario where you, you get tunnel, vi- tunnel vision as a developer and forget that you're implementing these stories for some larger purpose and then easily leave a gap or miss something. Is that the way you guys do it or how do you go about it? Yeah, I like that, John. I think that's a that's a good tip. Um, 
having a conversation rather than the developers just, as Lee said, just kind of arbitrarily deciding where the story should be split and how many pieces it should be in, I think is a good way to go. And I, I also, although I also agree with Amos that if you're, if you're moving along on a story and you're getting the work done and suddenly something jumps up that is, is going to blow out what you're doing, um, to it's going now it's going to take another day to get it done rather than the day that you thought it was, you know, don't just pull through and do it, you know, go ahead and break it up. Go ahead and put another story on the board and, and bring that up and see if you can bring what you're doing to a close. And don't take the decision away from the product owner or your customer to decide, you know what, that part, we don't need that right now. So that's just a, you know, to, a note to developers. I've just seen too many developers start doing that. They see, oh, yeah, well, if we do this, obviously we need to do this too without even considering the possibility that it should be broken up. And if you don't break it up, you'll never know. That's right. But in general, John, going back to what you said, I think getting the getting the product owner, the customer involved, talking all the way through it is a great way to do it because then you're, you're just um, trying to ensure yourself against not thinking of all the aspects of the story and doing something naive. I think that there's also another piece of this, and that is making sure that the developers have a good uh, overall vision themselves and you're, you're less likely to get the same instance. So having regular demos that, uh, where all of the developers get to see it, not just you know, whoever your, your customer liaison is that goes to the demos. If, if you have one of those where one, one member of your team goes and does the demo with the customer and, and talks about it, and then they come back and give the information to the developers, I mean, that can sometimes work, and sometimes you have to do that. But if you can get the, the, your entire team involved, they can see the big picture and they understand why they're doing stuff, then they're much less likely to miss stuff. Of course, I couldn't agree with that anymore, Lee. It's ideal, and, and what I would love to have on all of my teams is that everyone on the team has the same level of understanding about the goals of the, of the project and understand the business domain just as well as the product owner and just as well as a business analyst or a quality analyst. In reality, I think most of the times we have situations where developers love to develop, so they focus very sharply on doing those things and are easily, easily fall into this trap of getting tunnel vision on just churning through stories on the board and they just pull a story and they churn through it and they're like a machine and they turn them over really quickly but they because they're doing that way because they're working that way they quickly fall into this trap of losing the larger thread losing that higher level vision as to what's actually going on with the project and why they're doing that so i i, I think of it a lot about like testing um i actually call it scope creeper method is that while you're working on something, uh, if you have a question, it's usually a good time to write a test. Also, if you have a question, maybe take a step back. Maybe that's a good time to split that story off. Have a discussion with your customer and, and see where to prioritize that in. Because the more things you get split off, possibly the more things you can parallelize and possibly the more things that you can just not ever do. So you can get to the fun part of the project instead of spending all of your time working on a registration page. You don't think that's fun? I think that's fun. Uh, I've made like 800 of them. I'm really tired of it. I wish I could just can it and hand it to everybody, but everybody wants something just a little different. You wish there was a scaffolding for that? There is. It's just, i got to edit it just that much every time. I see. <laughs> and that's a oh, story. That, everybody can't see me. I was holding my fingers very close together. <laughs> oh, you got quiet, John. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I was hoping somebody else maybe had something to say. Yeah, well, the other the other question I have about splitting stories is that it's, and it's kind of along the same lines. Is it is it possible to get too simplistic with your story? Is it possible it and I'm really asking you guys when you're when you're thinking about how to get this done 
uh, this, this larger thing that we need to get done, there's probably always a really naive implementation that you could do that you know, is maybe just shy of hard coding that, that is really simple and will allow you to get a story done. How do you, is there value to doing that? Or, or how do you determine when the story is too small from the, you know, well, we've talked about it being too big, but how do you know when it's too small? So I think naive implementation versus too small are, are hugely different. Um, but too small, I, I think, I, I, don't, I don't really believe in, in too small that much. I mean, if I can get value out to the customer within an hour and still provide value within the code quality, so I'm not just putting junk in in order to get it out in that hour, then fantastic. I, I have shortened the feedback cycle on that piece while I've moved on to the next piece. And so I would rather coding it small then it's hard if I mean, could you, you could just hard code an answer on every story. Is that, is that the right step to take? Uh, Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a little too small. If, if we were, if we were playing the keyboard passing pairing game, that would, that might be something I would say is the right size for like a, a little unit test that I implement you refactor, that sort of thing. But that level seems seems a bit too small. And is it is it potentially deliverable? Could you demonstrate that? The project ended tomorrow. Would you be happy that you completed that much? I, I uh, think that's the answer. I think that thing you just said, John, is that is it something that you actually want to be in your system, like to, to be in your application? Is it actually adding any value to your application? Because I would argue that Besides maybe the view, the look and feel of it, hard coding something doesn't really add anything to your application. So you, you have to get down, and once you've broken it down so much that it's not adding value, maybe that's, maybe that's the right point. And I, for me, if the given win then, like let's say we go back to the registration, if I say uh, when, I get, when I provide a valid email that I register, if you're hard-coded to where it only works with a single email address, I think that that given when then the underlying step, you should be able to change and it still work as long as it, it meets the actual criteria. If you don't, then possibly you've made it too small. I would like to add on to the given when then and say you, you might want to add a so that. Um, so you have a, a why piece there as well. And if it's really, really tough for you to add a so that uh, onto that story, then you might want to rethink that story. I don't know if that's necessarily too small, or maybe it's just the wrong story. But uh, but that's a, a good addition anyway. That is. And the other thing about the given when then is also to keep it at a high level. Don't say, given that I log in with, amos.l.king at gmail.com, or I register with that, then everything is fine. Now, the, the object of it is to be at such a high level that it says, given I register with a valid email address, it doesn't care what email address, so I should be able to swap that out with any valid email address, and it worked great. Once you get down into the weeds of specifying individual things, then I think that's where we get to the point where you can just hard code things and move on, like Nate talked about. Some of the things that we've discussed are are potentially transient waypoints on a path towards the implementation of a story. For instance, Amos, the what you mentioned about your email address and, and writing your very first test that says, given I enter this email address, that it works. You know, that could be a transient waypoint that you do that, you do that one time to make something occur. But then the next step in that is to not be dependent on Amos's email address to be there, right? But that in and of itself, the implementation of being able to capture your one particular email address back to Nate's point would not be something that's valuable to the application, even though as important as your particular email address is. We all know it is important. Now everyone knows what it is. And please send him spam and hate mail. I hate you guys. <laughs> hey, you, you did it to yourself. We did nothing. Except egg them all on. 
Well, if I had said amos.l.king at example.com, most people would have tried Gmail if they were going to spam me anyway. <laughs> True. I True. see. So spam Amos. We'll see how many emails Amos gets. Is there anything else ne- you guys ne- want? Next uh, week, so two shows from now, I guess, I will tell you how many spam emails I got. Awesome. Sounds good. Then we'll know how many listeners we have. Hey, that's a good <laughs> test. Is there anything else you guys want to share and part on our listening audience about splitting stories? The only thing I would say is I've, I've found that uh, it's really almost an art form. It's one, it's one of those skills that you learn over time from doing it over and over again and, and noticing which ones are bad stories after you split them and which ones aren't. Um, and there's some guidelines, but you just got to keep doing it and, and keep practicing and, and pay attention to, to the outcomes. It just takes time. That's a, that. That's an excellent point, Lee. Uh, don't stop just because you you have issues or problems splitting stories. Keep trying. Keep learning from the stories that you split and the feedback that you get on how well you're splitting those stories. And just like you said, keep keep trying. The, the one thing we didn't talk about yet, I don't think, is uh, another way to split a story is to realize that you don't know how to do part of it and that you need a spike for it. So, uh, you know, if, as you are trying to look at the story and think about how to split it out, think about, is there any part of this that I've never done before that's touching a piece we haven't integrated with before that is using a technology or a library we haven't used before and, uh, and take the opportunity to split that out into a spike so you can learn something about that before you even get started. And that's where I thought you were going, Nate, when you mentioned tackling the hard part first was sure. so that you could have that learning so you could uh, execute a spike. And how do you define a spike, Nate? A spike meaning a, um, a, a code adventure that you go on to, to, to find a, to accomplish a particular purpose. So, and, and the important thing to remember about a spike is that you get in the spike, you get to not follow any of the rules if you want, if that helps you. In, for expedience to just get through what it is you're trying to discover. But the flip side of that is you are also not allowed to put any of that code into your production application. If you don't follow the rules, then it doesn't go in there. So um, you may decide that maybe, you know, I'm not going to run this through continuous integration. I'm not going to put tests in it, whatever it is. But if you do that, then you also can't put it into the application. But it's it, the whole point of it is to learn. It's not to accomplish anything. That It's not to add a feature. It's just to learn what you need to know about something. That's a great definition of a spike. Thanks, Nate. Uh, so, now my, my answer is jump onto our Google community and post your story up there and let's talk about it. Let's split it up together. Uh, I've had a fantastic time splitting story with Joe and talking to Joe back and forth, but uh, let's share that with our community. And you can join our community by going to thisagilelife.com slash community. This week's hottest picks. Nate, why don't you go first with your pick? Okay. Uh, so my pick today is one that, uh, that I has, has really kind of changed my life to some degree. Um, I used to be a pretty big video game player and um, really enjoyed doing that. But as my kids got older, it got harder and harder to do that because there was, you know, different things that they had to do and places they needed to be, and it was just hard to get um, alone time to play. And in the last year, I would say, I've really gotten into playing tabletop games, uh, particularly with my family. And part of that is due to a, um, a web show called Tabletop uh, that's part of the Geek and Sundry Network on, um, on YouTube. That's uh, Felicia Day's network, and Will Wheaton uh, of Star Trek fame is the one who does the show. And what he, all he does is each show, they, they choose a game, and he sits down with some friends of his, and they play the game on the show with, with some you know, explanatory text about what's going on. And it sounds like it wouldn't be that interesting, but the show is actually a lot of fun. It's, it's, 
they do a great job of explaining the game, of making it sound interesting. The banter between all the people playing is great. Will Wheaton uh, really gets into it, and, and there's a running joke on there because he hardly ever wins. These are always games that he loves, and he hardly ever wins. And so it's a, it's a lot of fun. I would highly recommend it and, it, and it's a great way to kind of inspire you to play these games, which I've gotten so much more out of playing tabletop games with my family than I ever did playing video games. So uh, highly recommend that. That's great. I can't wait to check check those out on YouTube. Thanks, Nate. Lee, what are your picks? Well, I have one that is a blog post of, by Kelly Waters called 10 Things I Hate About Agile Development. And uh, it's really a bit humorous, but it's humorous because it's true. And she's got, uh, she's got 10 items out there that uh, I won't spoil it by, uh, by giving them to you. But uh, it's... It's some great things about uh, people that people that say you're doing as agile just because you're doing daily stand-ups, and that's that's actually her number one. And she kind of explains some of that. And there's uh, there's nine others that are kind of like that. So I thought it was a great blog post, and I give it a little plug. That's at uh, at allaboutagile.com. Uh, Ten things I hate about agile development. And of course, we'll have the. The link to that blog post in the show notes. Thanks, Lee. Amos, what's your pick? All right, so uh, I'd like to call this a shameless self-promotion, but if you read the blog post, you'll realize that it's not all that shameless. Uh, it's it's not very well written, but it's called Smaller is Better, and it's about um, why to split up stories, more about what we talked to at the beginning, what, what benefits there are, um, Unfortunately, I've been in a in a bet with Craig where we put a dollar into a pot every week, and we have to release a podcast or a uh, a um, blog post. So their their quality is not the greatest. Enjoy. <laughs> Who's winning? Uh, no, it's every week we put a dollar into a pot, and then the first person that fails gets all the money out of the pot, or the first person um, does that fails gives up the money in the pot. Ah, I see. Very good incentive. So, so every blog post gets to be worth more and more money. Do what? Is that shameful self-promotion then? Yes, it is shameful self-promotion. I'm I'm not happy with the quality of the blog post, but I'm hoping that uh, as time goes, I'll get better at doing them all the time. All right. Uh, my pick this week is something called Launch Code STL.com. And this is kind of specific for people in St. Louis. I have a have a feeling, though, that we have a fair number of listeners in the St. Louis area. And uh, I think that this is a really cool and interesting idea. So the one of the founders, I think, of Square has, has started this, this thing called Launch Code, and they're opening this opportunity up to new, new developers, new programmers, and they offer you this opportunity to do uh, get some training and then have an internship where they pair you up with a company, they um, pay you to be an, an intern, uh, a small amount, but it's money nonetheless, and you get to pair a program with an experienced developer, and you get to learn what it's like to write production code and go through this process, and then in the end of your internship, quote-unquote, uh, you and the company have a chance to continue your relationship as an employee. So if you're a St. Louisan and are looking to become a developer or you know someone who is looking to become a developer, maybe this is something that you can share with them. And I think that this is completely nonprofit. So yeah. I can add even to better. this actually, John. Um, Jim McKelvey, as you said, one of the founders of Square is the guy who started this and it's been completely self-funded actually. So it was basically Jim's money. They haven't even taken contributions until... I think recently they're they're changing that, but um, the first group of people I think they they placed 40, um, 40 wannabe engineers uh, in various places around St. Louis. Asynchrony got to be one of those companies, and uh, the the guy that we brought on we've already hired and uh, given him a full time position, and so we, it's it's working really well so far. And it's interesting because they they bring people on and then they actually do run them through a little bit of training. Uh, to kind of get them ready for, you know, for working in a corporate environment. 
But Jim's reason for doing it, his stated reason for doing it, was that he always felt really guilty about uh, founding Square and then moving out to the West Coast and then hiring all the great um, engineers that he knew from St. Louis out to go work on the West Coast. And so he wanted some way to kind of give back to the St. Louis tech community and and increase the level of of tech of IT capability in the St. Louis area. So I always thought that was cool. That's very cool. I didn't know that whole backstory. Thank you, Nate. Okay, that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me. Nate Mack, you where can folks find out more about you? Well, uh, you, they can follow me on Twitter at Nate Mackey, N-A-T-E-M-C-K-I-E. I also post occasionally on uh, my company's blog, blog.asynchrony.com, A-S-Y-N-C-H-R-O-N-Y. Great. Lee, where can folks find more about you? I'm at Agile Atheist on uh, Twitter and agileatheist.blogspot.com is my blog. And Amos, where can folks find out more about you? As always, you can find me on my ugly blog, dirtyinformation.com, or I can be found at GitHub and Twitter at adcron, that's A-D-K-R-O-N. I look forward to hearing from everybody. And you can find out more about me, John Sextro, at my website, johnsextro.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at JCSextro. Thanks for listening, and keep living this Agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.